0: Good morning Real Life Church, please grab your seats, make yourself comfy as you can on those plastic chairs, won't we be grateful for the nice softly padded chairs back in the main hall. If we haven't met yet, I'm Melanie, Um, I'm married to Stuart, Uh, we moved here six years ago I think now, no, seven years ago about that, to start Real Life Church, Um, and it is our absolute pleasure and privilege to lead this beautiful group of people. Um, I got saved when I was 20, just in case you haven't met me and you're thinking, who is she, what does she do? Um, And I've been in Christian ministry since um, I was 25. And I'm now 42. I do know that is shocking and hard to believe. I know every time I say it, you think, no, she cannot be 42 with those youthful looks. Um, But I am 42. um, And I think this for us is our greatest adventure yet. Um, in God, just doing what he asked us to do in coming to start this church and we believe with our whole hearts that multiple churches will come out of this place and we feel like, sorry if it's a little corny, but we feel like we're living the dream and not like we've got white picket fences and our life is all hunky-dory and and perfect, but just we're doing the things that God has asked us to do, and so, when I say it 's a pleasure and a privilege, it really is um, I think it 's about the best place you can be is doing what God has asked you to do it 's where you 're most comfortable where you 're most at home, even if it 's some of the hardest things. It's being at home with the things God has asked you to do, and we are very much at home here. We've had a lovely holiday, for those of you who've been asking. We have rested lots, laughed lots, been outdoors lots, and just had a huge amount of fun, and we're totally ready to go. And then Asher decides that last night is the night that he just wants to... Throw up. So um, last night, I think I, I just, oh yeah, last night was interesting. So um, if I am a bit dithery and, and, and all over the place this morning, please just cut me a little bit of slack. All right. So we're in the book of Ruth. We've been doing this series um, as our summer series. We've called it Love Line because basically the, the story of Ruth is one of a. Ordinary men and women doing their ordinary stuff but being part of a big story. So being part of God's story, being part of God's line, being part of what it meant to bring in the Saviour. So he came through a family line and Ruth and Boaz sit in that family line. Not that they'd have known it at the time, not that they'd have understood the part that they played. They would have simply been obeying God and going about their everyday Ordinary lives, making ordinary decisions alongside what God has asked them to do. There's one week left to go, so Stuart's going to close it up next week. and if you haven't watched the video yet on The Bible Project, I strongly recommend watching it. In fact, if you're reading any book in the Bible, I would say go on thebibleproject.com and see if they've done a video for alongside it. I, I'm just about to start reading Joshua in my own time with God. I've just finished Philippians. Gemma and I have been reading that together. And before I began the book, I went and watched the video. They do a video of, of the, the summary of the book, what goes on in every chapter, it's very visual, it's extremely helpful to find out the historical background and what was going on at the time. So I'm just about to get into Joshua because that's our new series coming up. So I, I've been on the Bible Project to have a watch of the the video on Joshua before I start reading the book, just to get an overview of the whole book. So if you haven't watched the Ruth one, it is brilliant. It's only seven minutes long. I think I've watched it about seven times, and it's such a good overview of the book and such a good understanding of what's going on. The book is basically a love story between Ruth and Boaz but it's a mirroring or lots of the Old Testament is telling you what's to come. So it's basically saying there will be a redeemer, there will be one who saves, there will be one who stands in, there will be one who rescues. So it's, it's a story that's whispering about what's coming but it's, it's in and of itself a love story between Ruth and Boaz but as well one about God and his people. It's also a story that reminds us that God uses ordinary men and women in their ordinary everyday lives to bring about his extraordinary purposes. So if you look at your life and think, well, it's fairly average, fairly ordinary... All I'm doing is obeying what God has asked of me. Well done. You have no idea how that is going to be caught up in God's big story. Ruth and Boaz had no idea how that was going to be caught up in God's great story. Ultimately, the book is about Jesus. So all through the Old Testament, you have types of saviors. So people who look like Jesus. And Boaz is a type of saviour. Boaz looks and feels like Jesus. He's the one who redeems, saves, rescues. Um, And so it's, it's ultimately a book about Jesus. And it's ultimately a book where God is keeping his promise to Abraham that through his descendants, many would come. It's ultimately a book about preserving the line of God. You read the Old Testament, and what you realize is most of the time, God is just preserving his family line. He's making sure the Messiah comes and he's making sure the Messiah comes because he wants to rescue people, he wants to save people, he wants to put his world right. So all the way through the Old Testament you can follow it and go, man, he is, he is working so hard, battling so hard to make sure his line is preserved, to make sure that the Messiah, who's the main part of the story, gets to touch down on earth and be born of the Virgin Mary and then live the perfect life and die the most horrendous death so that we can be right with God. So far we've been introduced to Naomi who's the mother-in-law and Ruth who's the daughter-in-law. They've had tragedy in their lives and I don't know about you, many of us sitting in this room will know what it looks like to have tragedy as part of our story know what it looks like to have death as part of our story for some of you it'll be really raw it will be going on right now where you just think it's so painful and so hard they had tragedy they had the death of their husbands but also the loss of their income and their family line it's all gone for a woman in that day and age it was all done then and and so they would have faced tragedy but also such loss and yet in the midst of it God is working in saving Ruth and he's working in redeeming things and the setting up of the line of David. We then meet Boaz who comes into the story a bit like when the hero comes in 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 any kind of chick lit or rom-com and you just go, here he is. And he's usually quite dreamy. In my head, I always say this to Stuart, Boaz is my Bible crush. Like He just comes in and you're like, oh my gosh. He's just going to save the day, isn't he? In my head, he looks a little cross between kind of Ben Affleck, maybe a little... um, you know, I can't really cross between that. My other one is Will Smith, so they don't really work together. But I kind of—he's that kind of character. He's coming in, he's the main man, and and he's changing the story. He shows kindness and compassion to Ruth, reflecting the kindness and compassion of God. And his blessing for her is over the top. It's more than what she could ever ask or imagine. Last week we looked at him following the purposes of God in the. Our life, there is no substitute for godly character. Who we are as a person inside is who we are. And and how God is allowed to work on us, change us and grow us <coughs> is the thing that really matters. So I've called this morning's one, Happily Ever After. Please don't sit there thinking, oh no, like I am in the midst of suffering, in the midst of pain and she's going to bang on and on about living happily ever after and how life is such a fairy tale. That is not what I'm going to do. So I'm just going to say that up front. But this is Ruth and Boaz is happily ever after. But as with all good fairy stories, you don't get a happily ever after without tragedy, suffering, trial. You, you just don't get those stories, so... I was thinking about most fairy stories and most chicklets and most rom-coms have the same kind of ingredients. You have a girl, usually starts with a girl, who st- suffers hardship. Something's gone wrong, something's happened, Cinderella, you know, someone's died, something's, something's gone wrong. And then you have a guy who enters the scene and, he, and he's usually the Prince Charming or, you know... The, the whoever, the Will Smith the, the whoever and he enters the scene and things change and then you have a hiccup, something goes wrong doesn't it, where you go, oh no we thought they were going to make it and then they're suddenly not making it and even though you know every single rom-com is written exactly the same you still find yourself going, oh no what's going to happen? Stuart doesn't, he just sits there going, I'm wasting an hour of my life sitting here watching this um, uh, and then we get to the end of the movie, he says that's two hours gone That I'll never get back, Uh, which you know is such a treat. But um, we, you, you just sit there going, "Are they going to make it? Aren't they going to make it?" And then you get to the end of the story, and they make it, and they have the happily ever after. And I always wished that they had that bit a bit longer, because the kiss and where they get together always happens right at the end. And I always want to know the next bit, like where did they live? How many babies did they have? What did they do? I always want to know all of that bit. So in my head, I just make that up. So. I love a good fairy story, and I don't know about you, I think I grew up on fairy stories, but I also love lit, and I really love rom-coms. I think nothing better, to be honest, to me, than a night in where everybody else is out, and, well, my kids are asleep, obviously, and my husband's gone out for a meeting somewhere, and I'm in, and the TV is my own, and the duvet is my own, and the snack choice is my own, and I can put, like, a, a rom-com on and just sit there, Christmas time I love a bit of love actually you know just like get the duvet around me and just like ah, oh. I bought a few of mine in just because I want to kind of let you into my world so this is my favorite book um, so it's Pride and Prejudice by Jane Austen and this is obviously from the movie the cover but I collect books and movies that movies were made out of books yeah so I love this. I love the story. I just, I know, I've watched it in the BBC version and this version. Oh, I just love the story. I love the journey that they have to go on and the trials that they're facing and the things that go wrong and the things they have to overcome. I just love that. And then this is Miranda Dickinson. She writes, just absolutely lovely, chicklet. And and just the same kind of essence of girl meets boy, they face hardship, hiccups, things go wrong. And then suddenly, at the last three pages, they get there happily ever after. And I realised as well, loads of the box sets that I love to watch, so... Gilmore Girls and Friends are ultimately fairy tales. They're ultimately girl meets guy, loads of stuff goes wrong. Will they, won't they, will they, won't they, Ross and Rachel, will they, won't they, will oh they're going to make, no they're not, yes they are. And then right at the end they make it and they get their happily ever after. And sorry if I'm about to ruin this for people but Lorelei Luke, will they, won't they, will they, won't they, will they, won't they, trial, all sorts of things go on. Yes they will, no they won't, oh they do. And there's just that relief when, when you get to the end of the story. Has anyone seen this yet? Oh, Taylor time. Oh my gosh. This is like my, my, my favourite animated. And then they bought it out as a film. And my husband pulled out all the stops, took me to see it at the cinema, and bought me the DVD. Man, I mean, that's good, isn't it? So And he did walk around the house for days going, yeah, I'm the best husband, yeah, check me out. So I had to congratulate him many, many times on this one, but it was a good one. So this is the same, isn't it? Trial, hardship, sacrifice, heartache, and then right at the end, she chooses him, he chooses her, and there's love and they all live happily ever after. This is, this is a, a novel written out of a book in the Bible. So Hosea... And this is uh, redeeming love. But this is the same. Trial, hardship, pain, suffering. Will they, won't they? Will she make it? Will he save her? Yes, he will. And then at the end, you get this kind of happily ever after kind of thing happening. See, we all want the fairy tale, ultimately. Ultimately. That's why often in our lives, we don't understand when things are going wrong. We, we ask questions like, why God? Why would you allow that? What's going on? What happened there? How could you? Because we all want the happily ever after. I think that's because God has placed in us a tiny bit of eternity in our hearts that makes us yearn for something that ends well. It's why death feels so wrong to us. It's why when stories go wrong and people are in pain, it just, something in us feels like this isn't right. This isn't how it's meant to be because we are meant to get our happily ever after. And what you know, if you read the Bible from cover to cover, you know that in Revelation we get the happily ever after. We get thee and the lamb is standing before the people, and millions of people are worshipping him, loving him, are right with God, are in the new heaven, the new earth. We get the happily ever after. It's what our hearts yearn for, and it's what we try and replicate in our, in our little lives. We're trying to replicate something of the big story. You'll be relieved to know I am actually going to read the Bible now, so if you turn to Ruth, Ruth 4, I'm going to read from 1 to 12 from my pretty pink Bible. Now Boaz has gone up to the gate and sat down there, and behold, the Redeemer whom Boaz spoke of came by. So Boaz said, turn aside, friend, sit down here. And he turned aside and he sat down. And he took 10 men of the elders of the city and he said, sit down here. So they sat down. Then he said to the Redeemer, Naomi, who has come back from the country of Moab, is selling the parcel of land that belonged to our relative Elimelech. So I thought I would tell you of it and say, buy it in the presence of those sitting here and in the presence of the elders of my people. If you will redeem it, redeem it. But if you will not, tell me that I may know. For there is no one beside you to redeem it, and I come after you. And he said, this is Boaz, I will redeem it. It's quite clear at this point in the story that Boaz wants Ruth as his wife, that he's basically intent on on doing it right, but he wants her. Then Boaz said, The day you buy the field from the hand of Naomi, you also acquire Ruth, the Moabite, the widow of the dead, in order to perpetrate the name of the dead in his inheritance. Then the Redeemer said, I cannot redeem it for myself, lest I impair my own inheritance." Take my right of redemption yourself, for I cannot redeem it. Now, this was the custom in former times in Israel concerning redeeming and exchanging. To confirm a transaction, one drew off his sandal. So instead of signing something, you take your sandal off and give it to the other. And this was the manner of attesting in Israel. So when the redeemer said to Boaz, buy it for yourself, he drew off his sandal And then Boaz said to the elders and all the people, You are witnesses this day that I have bought from the hand of Naomi all that belonged to Elimelech and all that belonged to Chilion and Malon and Ruth the Moabite, the widow of Malon. And I have bought to be my wife to perpetrate the name of the dead in his inheritance that the name of the dead may not be cut off from among his brothers and from the gate of his native place. You are witnesses this day. Then all the people who were at the gate and the elders said, We are witnesses. May the Lord make the woman who is coming into your house, like Rachel and Leah, who together built up the house of Israel, may you act worthily. and Oh, my goodness. Thanks, that one. Um, and be ren- renowned in Bethlehem. And may your house be like the house of Perez, whom Tamar bore to Judah because of the offspring that the Lord will give you by this young woman. Okay, so we've got to the part in the story where Boaz has worked out that he's not the next one to redeem Ruth. He's the one behind, but he wants to redeem her, but he wants to do it right. And so he goes to this unnamed man, and he's the hiccup in the story. He's the one where I first read it, and I was like, no, that can't be right. He's the one where when you get to it in chiclet, you want to read forward a bit and just check that they do ultimately make it. So I am one of those people that goes to the last couple of pages in the book just to be sure that they make it before I carry on reading it. Because I think I'm going to put it down now if they don't make it. So I remember saying, if I get to the end of Friends and Ross and Rachel aren't together, I, I, I don't know what I'm going to do. But I need to know that they're going to be together. Uh, so I, I, I would have just flicked forward a little bit just to make doubly sure and then gone back to it. So this guy is unnamed we don't know who he is, we just know that he's the next one in the family line and that he could redeem. But if he wants to take the land and he wants to take the title, he also needs to take Ruth. And he's all keen about the land and he's all keen about the title. But when he finds out that Ruth is part of the deal, so she's a Moabite and a foreigner, um, he, he doesn't want for that. And i When I read that, I I really felt a strong sense of God saying to me, don't be like that. Don't pick possession and title over people. Don't be the unnamed one in the story. Don't be the one that says no. Don't be the one who prefers land, status, things above people. Don't be that person. And, And I think part of what I think God wants to say to us this morning is don't be those people. Pick people every day of the week prefer people every day of the week with your time with your finances with your energy with your heart prefer people rather than status title land possessions pick people see what this guy did is he opted out of God's big story and he had no idea he is unnamed and unknown throughout the whole of history Because he said no. Because he said, and he could have been part of the family line of David. So he could have redeemed and the line would have stayed the same. He could have been part of the big story of God. And it's a sober reminder to us really to say yes to the things that matter to God. And no to the things that don't. So people matter to God. The outcasts matter to God. Foreigners matter to God. Those who don't fit quite or don't fit neatly, they matter to God and they matter to God as part of his story. They matter to God as part of what he's doing on the earth. And you know that from the life of Jesus, they matter to God. People matter to God and I it was a weird one when I started reading this story I just thought I can't believe that's the thing that that actually is really just hitting my heart but it is the thing so even if you're young what you will believe is that I need to get a good job a good home I need to amass fortune I need to amass title I need to amass wealth and status what you really need to do is live a life that matters and you need to care about the things that God cares about And what does God care about? He cares about his kingdom, his people, his king. That's what he cares about. When the Bible says, seek first the kingdom of God, this is what it's talking about. So people matter to us. The care of our people matters to us. The outcasts matter to us. Those who are lonely matter to us. The widows matter to us. The orphans matter to us. Why? Because they matter to God. Because in his happily ever after story, he's scooping them all up. And we get to choose to be a part of that and choose to be named in the story, known in the story. Or we get to be the person who's like, well, the no name said no. And so we moved on. And we went to the next person who is Boaz. Boaz makes sure the deal is done and he takes the sandal I, I love like some of the customs I just, like, I, stuff just makes me chuckle I imagine homes that just have loads of sandals just hanging up like, like, you know, as if we would have a filing cabinet with things that have been signed you just got a wall in your house with just sandals hung up and, and I imagine people making a deal and then having to hop off because you know, they're, they're just like alright now I've only got one shoe, a little inconvenient and now I have to go and buy another pair of shoes I don't know if they got the shoe back but I just I like it when when you read little quirky things like that in the Bible. So this guy hands over his shoe and he hands over the rights of the land, the title, the name and Ruth to Boaz. And the deal is done and the man hops home. In the story it talks a little bit about Rachel and Leah, who were the two wives of Jacob. So you know who had the twelve sons and the Technicolor dream coat Joseph. So Rachel and Leah and their story is another story and I think all that the story is doing is just pointing to a couple of stories where there's been hardship, where there's been barrenness, where there's been trouble, where there's been famine, where there's been strife where, and God has brought something amazing out of it. So the 12 tribes, the 12 sons of Jacob, six of them came out of Rachel and Leah and Leah was barren. Uh, Rachel was barren and so uh, what you find is God using stories that seem broken, that seem wretched, that seem hard to bring about his purposes and if you read the Bible you'll see that over and over again. And then the, the Tamar and Judah story, I strongly recommend you go and read that for yourself. It's, it's quite a frightening story, to be honest. Young people, if you want to find out about some of the most EastEnders parts of the Bible, you just need to read Genesis, all right? And you'll, you'll just find out some of the most crazy stories that have gone on in the history of God's people and the kinds of people that God chooses to use. And there are always people who say yes no matter what their background looks like, no matter where they've come from, no matter what they've done, if you're willing and if you're obedient to God, he'll make use of you. And he, it's, it sounds awful to say this, but it is almost irrelevant, your backstory, if you are someone who loves Jesus and will say yes to him over and over again. It, that, like, that's, that's what he's after on the earth, disciples who will say, yes, Lord, yes, Lord, yes, Lord. He's not after a perfect backstory. He has the perfect backstory. He's not after the perfect life. He has the perfect life. What he's asking to bring into the mix is obedience. Simple as that. Men and women who throughout history will say, yes, Lord, yes, Lord, yes, Lord. So you can read the story of Tamar and Judah. They had a son called Perez, and Perez is in the family line of Boaz, and Boaz is in the family line of David. So what you see is God using ordinary men and women in his story to bring about his purposes and bring about his, his family line. This is Ruth's happily ever after. This is her, her kind of point in the story where, where the music starts playing lovely and they kiss and they get married. But ultimately, this is God's happily ever after. This is God's way of saying throughout the Old Testament, a redeemer's coming Jesus is coming, he's coming, he's coming, he's coming. The whole Old Testament is going, he's coming, he's coming, he's coming. He's saying the line is preserved. This family will keep going and keep going and keep going until we get a Mary and a Joseph and we get a Jesus. There's a small story here going on inside of a great big story that's a way more significant story than the small story. Ruth had no idea that the man she met... And the son that she had would carry on until David and then beyond David would carry on until Jesus. All she knew is in her circumstances where she was in pain, where it had all been lost and it was looking so helpless, a redeemer stepped in and rescued her life and brought it into somewhere different. We often, (coughs) excuse me. We often have no idea what God is doing in our little story that is part of the big story. We sometimes don't see what he sees or knows what he knows. In fact, we, we often don't. I'm just going to read you a quote from this book. I've been reading a few books over the summer. Stuart and I both amass a little stash of books that we're going to read over the summer. So this is one I finished Uh, last week this is the life you never expected and it's called thriving while parents of special needs children and it's about how you do life when things have all gone wrong and so this is a family who who had two kids who've got two kids two small children with autism Um, and it's a brilliantly written book it's very raw they've written it while they're in the midst of it not while they're at the end of it looking back on it slightly rose-tinted they've written it while they're in the midst of it If you know suffering and you know hardship, this would be a great book to have a read of. It's got some principles that are just amazing. But I read this while I was prepping some of this. It says, uh, so I have to remember, this is Andrew Wilson speaking, so I have to remember the story is not mine to save. The pressure to write a story that makes sense out of what has happened to us, as acute as it can feel, must be resisted. God is the great storyteller The divine happy ending maker, and I am not. I am a character in God's story, not the author of my own. And it is God's responsibility to redeem all things, to make all things work together for his good. And as Sam in Lord of the Rings wrote, to make everything that is sad come untrue. It is only when I find my place in the giant story that he is writing and come to terms with its twists and turns that I can lean back into the knowledge that it's my father's job to redeem or make right all things, not only in our nuclear family, but in every single thing that the curse of sin has touched or tarnished. I mean, really like when I read it, it really rang true with me. He said, I am a character in God's story, not the author of my own. And it is God's responsibility to redeem all things, not mine. You might be in the pain and tragedy chapters of your story, and you might be asking these kinds of questions. Where are you, God? What are you doing, God? Are you even there, God? What on earth is going on, God? You might be in that season or that chapter of your story. This morning, I think God wants to invite you to take a breath and rest easy in the fact that he is the storyteller that it's his story, that you're a character in his book, that you're a character in what he is doing on the earth. You might be in your happily ever after. You might be sitting there thinking, well, I've got it all sorted. I've got my my wife, I've got my kids, I've got my job, I'm all I'm all done. You are still a character in his story. Anything you have ultimately belongs to him. All that you are ultimately is because of him. I would say don't forget that your story is a little story in his big story. Don't forget even in your happily ever after who's in charge and who writes the next few pages. I think the book of Ruth, this chapter in particular, is a provocation to us all over what story we're writing and what story we're living for and what will matter and what will count at the end of our lifetime. The challenge, I think, is to live right now in whatever you face and whatever's going on in a way that honours and pleases God, no matter what your circumstances look like. The choices we make, the people we marry, the kids we have, the jobs we do, the things we say yes to, the things we say no to, are part of our little story, but part of his Big story. And I think the challenge is, will we be the unnamed man who said no to the things of God? So what he said no to was something that God wrote and put in place for the care of orphans and widows. So God put this in place and asked that his people would behave like this. What the man said no to was behaving in a way that God said, I would like this of you. And what he said was, I won't pay that price. What Boaz said is, I will willingly pay that price. What Boaz gained was to be a part of God's story. Why? Not because he was amazing, not because he was incredible, but because he said yes. Because he, as we would say in this kind of day and age, he manned up, he stood up and he said, all right then, God, take me. Like, if that's what you ask of me, if that's what you demand of me, yeah. And what he gained was not only a wife and a son, but to be part of an eternal story that's playing out on the earth for years and years and years to come. We're still talking about Boaz. We don't even know the name of that other guy. He's a no-name. He's an extra in God's story. Gutted. I don't know about you, I want to get to the end of my life and know that I said yes to the things that God had asked me to do I said yes to the principles set down in his word of how I'm supposed to live my life but I say yes to the intervention of people and things that he's asked of me I want you to just think about your life for a moment and just think what am I living for what am I doing with it and just consider it just think okay I want to take stock who's in charge who decides what has he asked of me? What has he not asked of me? What am I to say yes to? What am I to say no to? I think there's some simple things. We're asked to love the Lord our God with everything we got. So with our whole heart, with our minds, with our bodies, with all that we are, we're asked to love him and be in relationship with him. That's the, that's the foundation of Christianity. This relationship with Jesus that puts us in right relationship with God. It's all about relationship, it's all about people. So think about your life. Think about the things he's asked of you. Just just the the basic things that he's asked of you in his word. So to be honest, to live right, to love people, to love the place you're in, to speak truth. Think about the things that he's asked you to do, just, just general things. But think about the things that he's asked you to do in the bigger story as well the things that he's whispered over you, the things that he's spoken to you through prophetic people or through friends or through the word or or just in your knower, you know, some things that he's asked of you. And I would say consider saying yes. Consider being a Ruth and a Boaz. Consider being those who get caught up in the big story by just doing the ordinary everyday yes, Lord, yes, Lord, yes, Lord. I would say if you are not married yet, think about who you're going to marry. Like Boaz picked a woman who he liked the look of who she was in God. It says that he thought she was an honourable woman. He liked the sacrifices she'd made. He'd heard about her story of putting everything down and coming with Naomi. I'd hazard a guess he liked the look of her too. Because in my head, she's She's gorgeous. I'd hazard a guess he liked the look of her too, but actually he liked who she was on the inside. So I want to say to you, if you're not married, pick a man, pick a woman who loves God as much as you do or more than, who has a character that you think, "I I can join myself to this and we can go on mission together and I will not be held back. I say that even in this room, knowing that for some of you listening to that, that's painful because you picked your man or you picked your woman and it's not quite worked out how you thought it would. I would say even in that, you get to be a part of God's story by saying, yes, God, yes, God, yes, God, and fight him for the things that he cares about, the things that he loves, the things that he's for. I would say if you have kids, raise them to be men and women who love God first who put God first. Show them in your own lives like how to live a life where you say, I'm seeking first the kingdom of God. When you're choosing jobs, when you're looking at what it is I'm supposed to do, ask the question, God, what is it you would have me do? Ask some people around you, get some wise counsel. Do the things that are written in the book in order to be part of the story that's being written on the earth. So I'm going to stop there. I'm going to invite you to stand. We're going to worship our lovely saviour. I really want to encourage us to be a people that say yes Lord, yes Lord, yes Lord and get to be named in the story and part of the story. If you have never said yes Lord to him and become a Christian that might be the first part of the story for you. That might be the first part where you say, actually today I'm beginning that page where I say, yes Lord. Or you might be sitting there thinking, I don't know enough about Jesus yet. I'm going to say yes to Alpha and I'm going to go on an Alpha course and I'm going to find out about Christianity because I ultimately want to live a life saying, yes Lord, yes Lord, yes Lord. I want to be named in the story, part of the story, caught up in God's purposes and God's plans. You might be in the painful bit of your story. I still want to encourage you to say, yes, Lord, even if it's through tears and screaming and shouting and lamenting, still ultimately saying, yes, Lord, I'll go where you go. And I will believe that my story is part of your story. Amen.